Welcome to Saga Craft. Myths, fairy tales, legends, stories comfort us, inspire us, and heal us. Please join us as we share stories, both old and new. More than anything, we are open to the story and its unfolding. At times, it may be one story told by one person. At times, it's the same story told through three different voices. In the end, we go where the story takes us, and we invite you to follow. I'm C, a writer, artist, and storyteller. I'm Betsy, a medium and teacher of mystery traditions. I'm Gabriella, an artist and practitioner of folk magic. We, we are, are magical, magical fairy godmothers, godmothers in, in training. training. Today we're talking about green people and forest spirits. This is Betsy, and I definitely want to invite and invoke and evoke the green man, the green god himself with gratitude. And I want to thank all of the spirits that support this god also. And I'm grateful for the week that I've spent with this god. And I invite Saga to be present as well. And thank you for these stories. And this is Gabriella, and I would like to invite the spirit of the old ways and the spirit of the wild and the blessings of the wild and the forest and the trees and for the balance and the nurturing that came with those times. And even though we may feel disconnected from those times, I think we can bring them through in our stories and in our devotions. So I'm very grateful to have also spent a, a week with the being that I'll be speaking about. and. I give thanks to that being and to other beings from this land. And I give thanks to Saga and the two other storytellers I'm with today. This is C, and I would like to thank everyone <laughs> and uh, really appreciate and dedicate this to relationship, all of our relationships with one another. May we globally be, well, even more than globally, may we cosmologically be in perfect right relationship compassionately treating one another. So um, my story is about the green man and the location of the story is in some unspecified kind of Celtic, British, or Britannic, Breton landscape. The small family of three left their village just after first light. Neatly dressed, two of them were carrying laden baskets. The third held the hands of the older two. They maintained a presence of decorum, walking at a measured pace, nodding to other early rising villagers as they made their way along the single track road heading towards the forest. All of them were silent as they passed the graveyard in the early morning gray shadow. Nearby, the first rays of the rising sun lit the equal armed cross on a pedestal in the churchyard, spinning light rays in all directions. The young man looked at his partner, Ellen, in the suddenly vivid light with a flicker of anxiety. She smiled reassuringly and said, it's a blessing. He nodded and then smiled at the small girl between them as she took a couple of skipping steps at the word blessing. 
Nearing the end of the village, out on the open road, they were completely illuminated in sunlight. They quickened their pace. Ahead lay the smaller road that led into the great forest. This vast tract of forest had been a source of life for the villagers for the entire lifespan of the village. It provided wood of many kinds for furniture and homes, as well as firewood and charcoal. Hunters found game animals, birds, and even river fish in the forest. Wise folk, like Ellen, went to the forest for several reasons, including plants for medicinal and culinary purposes. Though nominally Christian for some time, Ellen went to the forest to honor the green man of the forest, as her ancestors had done for centuries. She thought of the green man as one of her ancestors, for that matter, as had her mother before her. Until lately, the village had kept its connection to the old ways and customs long held in this part of the world. The advance of Christianity was changing that. Beltane fires were still lit in many areas, but fewer Beltane babies were born nine months later. Ellen herself was one of these children. It was not a secret. Her daughter, Sorsha, was also a child of Beltane, but this was a secret. Her generous and kindly new husband, Ewan, had agreed to claim Sorsha as his own child from a previous visit to the village. His return to the village years later had reunited them and made an honest woman of her, the villagers said. He gladly claimed both wife and daughter. This visit into the great and ancient wood was one of thanksgiving for this marriage. Ellen had explained to him that it was no villager that had impregnated her, but the green god himself. She told him this before she wed him, giving him a chance to back out. Her mother, the wisest of the wise folk, had looked Ewan in the eye and said, this is our way. This is absolutely true, and for us, it is a blessing. It was well past Beltane. They walked for some hours, going from sparkling early summer sunlight to sun-dappled trees to shaded woods. They loosened the ties and fastenings of their clothing, letting down their hair and becoming freer and more relaxed. All of them felt the changes around them as they moved deeper into the forest. Bird sounds lessened, leaves rustled, and branches moved slightly. The light changed and changed again. Ellen began to speak out loud to small folk who were unseen, but becoming more obvious in their own ways. We're coming to him with thanks. We wish to enter the sacred grove. We bring all of you offerings. Let us enter, please. It's Ellen, Sorsha, and Ewan. Prayed silently for some time, holding firmly to both Ewan and her daughter. Sorsha felt fluttering in her heart and in her tummy. She had begun to notice the changes as soon as she entered the forest. This was her first time to be so deep in the vast woods. The light was changing all around her, becoming a deep and watery green. She could hear her heart drumming in her ears and felt it beating in her chest. As she gazed around, she could feel her eyes sliding sideways. Or was it the forest that had just moved sideways? Her mother heaved a great sigh and letting go of each of them gave them a little push forward, were allowed to enter. To Ewan's accepting but nervous surprise, a path appeared that wound around a little pool that he knew had not been there a moment before. 
The water bubbled gently, smooth rocks lined it, and before he knew it, he was kneeling like the others as they washed faces, hands, and hearts. Ellen drew out a bundle wrapped in cloth and removed a little cake from it. She placed this on one of the rocks by the pool with deft precision and a murmured prayer. Don't look in the pool too long, she said to them. You might see something if you do. Ewan lifted his gaze. Sorsha's eyes widened. She had seen something. Her mother gave a little shake of her head, gesturing her to go forwards. Come on, she said. They walked three times around the little pool and continued on the path going deeper into the wood. Do you feel, started Ewan. Yes, said Ellen quickly, cutting him off. She inclined her head to Sorsha with a little shake. Feel what, said Sorsha. I feel fluttery. We do too, said her mother. What she and Ewan felt was a bit different than that. Desire stirred sharply in them. Ellen's cheeks became rosy and Ewan's face began to show a little bit of the strain as he concentrated on walking the path forward. Sorsha slipped free from them, skipping ahead on the path. Ellen and Ewan wrapped their arms around each other. Is this the god? whispered Ewan. Yes, this is his gift. Eventually, they entered a glade in the wood. Nothing was man-made here to indicate a place of holiness. The living plants and trees in the glade wove together a feeling of hallows and peace. The glade was empty, but not empty. It was hard to tell if something had just happened here or was about to. Ellen felt the twin powers of love and lust as an almost anguish, so piercing were they in her core. Sosha, I'm going to put out this rug for you to sit on, and this basket holds the picnic lunch for you to enjoy. Your new papa and I are going into the wood together. Stay here and don't wander. We'll be in earshot of you if you call, and we won't be gone long. She kissed Sosha on the head. She pulled Ewan and a blanket with her further into the four steps and eventually into a shady bower. Together they knelt and then lay on the ground. Branches rustled around them and stones sank into the earth beneath them to give them a soft bed. In the glade, Sorsha began to set out her lunch. She looked around and went to a plant nearby with big glossy leaves. She made a little curtsy to it as she had been taught. May I have a few of your leaves, please? I'll use them as dishes. The plant leaves released and fell easily into her hands. She gasped and then smiled. Many thanks and blessings for sharing your goodness. She took the leaves, setting them on a pattern on the rug and set out some bread and cheese. One of these places is for you, my green god, she called out. Come and join me. She pulled a jug from a basket and uncorked it, pouring a little mead into small cups. Mead to mellow your heart and fill it with song. She placed berries out, red for the blood of all life. Ritual words spoken. Ritual response. I will, little Sorsha. The voice was deep and mellow and a bit aged sounding. The green god appeared before her, looming over her small form, and then seeming to loom less so. He was the deep green of forest with the oak and tawny browns of wood. His hair was curling and wild, as was the look in one of his golden eyes. 
His other eye was serene and glowing like liquid honey. He was tall and well-made, though spare, and had a skin a little like leather. This is a feast, he said. My mother and I made it for you, her eyes shone. It seemed the most natural thing in the world for him to appear and to share this meal. For you, with thanks for my new papa and for the goodness that life has brought to us with your help. As he sat with her, the little blanket grew big enough to accommodate him. He took the cup of mead, which first looked quite little in his large hand, and then seemed to be just right. He drank. His eyes flared golden and he smiled at the child. Blessed mead is a valuable gift. He ate the berries from the green leaf. His curling hair waved as leaves and vines of different types grew out of his wild mane. As he ate the bread and cheese, the products of good farming blended with green prosperity. His flesh grew young and supple looking. The oaky wooden colors shifted to a light, clearer green. Your love renews me, my daughter, and your company delights. He reached into his green robes and drew out a glistening golden object. It was an oak leaf brooch, cunningly and lovingly shaped. He pinned it onto her dress at the shoulder and then took her little hand. She felt the humming of his blood through her hand. She was aware of the forest floor, the sky beyond the canopy of trees, and always the green. She saw the seasons unfold spring to summer, summer to autumn, drifting and dying leaves of autumn to winter, the ice and cold bareness of winter making its slow way to spring again. She saw the tireless service of this God in his births, deaths, and rebirths. She felt total trust. They continued to eat and to talk, though she did not later remember much of what they spoke about. What she did remember was that she began to see images and stories of girls like her and women like her mother. Many girls, many women, some boys, some men, and always the green god. This family of his, one after another, aging and dying, and his descent with them into the earth, only to rise again. She saw his sadness and his joys and his total trust. It seemed like it was an age that they spent together. It seemed like it was but a moment. She knew that she had been one of those little girls, one of those women, again and again. She knew that just as he was vowed in service, so was she. The sun had barely moved in the sky before Ellen and Ewan were back, relaxed and soft-faced from love. The shaded green bower had held them and provided them with privacy outside of time. They stepped from that space back into the glade and saw him. Ewan's eyes grew big at the sight of the green god in all his leafy splendor. Come and meet him, my love, said Ellen. They stepped into the clearing and bowed low before the god. The god looked on them kindly as Ellen introduced her husband. Be welcome to my family, said the god. And then gesturing to Sorsha, he said, she has renewed me. Whatever this life holds for her, prosperity is hers and yours, dear Ellen. 
At one and the same time, all but Ewan raised their hands and made a sign of the circle in the air. So it is, and so it always shall be. And now we'll hear from C. It all began with a seed, a small thing that holds infinite power. My great-grandmother had a name. It has long since been forgotten, replaced by a thousand monikers. My grandmother had a name. It washed away, suspended in drops of eternity. My mother had a name. It sunk into the earth, echoed in ancient caves. I have a name for now. My great-grandmother lived an eon alone, dreaming of her mother's heartbeat, contracting, expanding, circulating, undisturbed. Until one day, when a butterfly on a planet whose name cannot be spoken in a human voice flapped her wings and seeded this world, and my great-grandmother held space so my grandmother could ascend. She earned her place at the eternal table. My grandmother exuded raw power, tossing and turning her dream lucid, weighing limitless options for all creation. Until one day, when one grain of sand fell in love with another, and they built a life together, and my grandmother held space so my mother could ascend. She earned her place at the eternal table. My mother stood still, having awakened, she lived her life as an ascetic, quiet and strong, solid earth in a storm, until one day, when a falling star lit up her world, penetrating her unmoving ground, and the globe shook with their union. And my mother held space so I could ascend. She earned her place at the eternal table. I danced with my sisters, alive and engaged. I thought myself past sleep, past dreams, connected. Until one day, when two flowers tumbled together, spinning and twirling as they fell, and they vowed to remain in freedom and relationship, moving around the domain untethered. And I held space so you could ascend. I have earned my place at the eternal table. Life is not a given, a birthright, or a destination. Life is the reception of the unexpected and embracing of the same so that a new world can be born. And when it is, you must move over. You must hold space so your children can ascend. You too must earn your place at the eternal table. It will begin with a seed, a small thing, a thing that holds infinite power. That was one. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a void. And every day this void would ebb and flow, dreaming of its mother's heartbeat. Until one day, when a butterfly on a planet whose name cannot be spoken in a human voice flapped her wings and seeded this world. Because of that, the tides began to roll and mountains began to ascend as the internal fire of earth burst forth. Because of that, forests grew to their current expression where we birthed the liminals, one of whom made his way through the mirror. And on that day, 
humans learn to deny death, deny life, afraid of the being who can only be seen from the corners of their eyes. But one day, one day soon, another seed will grow. And next, Gabriella. Thank you both for such beautiful stories. My story is about an old forest in Poland where some of the oldest forests of the world still roam. This is his story. I do not know who first came into being, me or this forest. I cannot remember existing outside of it, nor can I imagine not feeling every sound, creature, or tree that gave the forest life. I have been known by many names, even though I come from a time long before naming. I come from a time when everything was connected, hundreds of voices blending together to form one song. Even humans were as much part of the song as any other bird or tree, but this is a story of another world long gone. From a more recent memory, the humans who would enter my forest feared and respected me. Wise women, intently listening to my whispers, would come together healing and poisonous plants for their remedies. Hunters and gatherers brought me offerings in exchange for a successful hunt, bountiful berry harvest, or protection from wild beasts if they lost their path in the night. They knew me as the terror or the great blessing, the story of gifts, and we lived in harmony for centuries. As centuries passed, the people changed. They didn't always bring me offerings, and their demands grew higher, more driven by greed than hunger. They stopped fearing me. They brought in new priests who claimed to dominate over nature and cut down ancient blessing trees and contaminated healing streams. Fools, they thought they could take from me as they pleased without honor or understanding of balance. So I hid the beasts from them. I covered patches of berries and mushrooms from their reach and infested all paths with hornets and pests to keep them from returning. And this was a welcome departure. Our relationship was no longer in balance. The names they called me changed also. I did not care for these new names, for they did not match the truth of my being or my power. But that is the cycle of the old and the new. One dissolves to contain the other. And as people's beliefs changed, my power also shifted to respond to a different rhythm, an older, deeper presence where I could safely reside. I was able to retrieve deeply into the overgrown forest, cooling creeks and ageless moss. Blending with my lush surroundings, I disappeared for years and years, falling into a blissful slumber. Oh, how I loved to sleep. One day, I was awakened by a most piercing, high-pitched scream. It was a danger scream, an impending death cry, alarming me to rattle the trees and roll the earth in response. Only a human could make such a sound, and I would only hear it if the impending death was met with an equal force to resist it and call the higher forces of nature and destiny to challenge the sentence. I extended my gaze to show me all parts of the wood, to share with me the birds and what they were seeing and where the source of the cry was. I saw a human child, a girl. She was crouched down in a clearing, covering something even smaller than herself while a pack of young wolves surrounded her greedily. I focused all my senses on this situation until it was clear. 
The girl was holding onto a small brown rabbit, its heart beating wildly in her protective grasp. The wolves were not hungry, but bored and enticed by the smell of fear from a human, a creature they have never seen before, and I couldn't blame them. But because devouring this child was not part of keeping them fed or alive, I was well within reason to intervene. With one swoop of my will, I drove a powerful wind to move one of the biggest branches into the clearing to swing wildly over the pack. This howling wind was so loud and sudden that it scattered dozens of birds across the sky, darkening it for a brief moment. The wolves' ears perked up. They stopped their advance in the child immediately. The pack leader, sensing my presence and my intention, abandoned his feral pursuit and left the clearing quickly and his brothers followed. The girl watched, wide-eyed. She didn't pass out from fright at the horrific sound I made. She released her hold on the brown rabbit and set him down on the grass. The creature didn't take any time acknowledging its protector and darted for the bushes. The girl stood up, shaking dirt off her skirt and rubbing a scraped elbow. She looked around slowly, and then with a severe stillness, she listened becoming one with the air around her, almost blending in entirely. I couldn't help but pay attention. She was most intriguing. And as I paid attention, the more solid I became, maybe even visible to some eyes. And this little thing had the uncanny ability to gaze and see in between and was looking right at me, even though she had no idea what she was seeing. I wondered which one of my shifting shapes she would settle on. A massive tree with a face, a horned beast on two legs, or maybe a tall, hairy man with red glowing eyes. However, I appeared to her, she was not afraid. Master of the wood, Leshe, my great-grandfather told me about you. She tucked one of her scapped knees behind the other and bowed her head. Thank you for protecting me from the wolves. You surely saved my life and that of the rabbit. It's been a long time since somebody has uttered one of my older names. She reached into the pocket of her apron and took out a small, round honey cake. She held it out in front of her with berry-stained hands. It's all I have. I hope it's an acceptable gift. She stood there looking hopeful and slightly uncertain of what should happen next. After a long while, she laid the cake down on the ground, turned around, and ran off rather quickly. There it was, soft, white, sweet-smelling honey cake. It's been an even longer time since I have been given an offering. This might change things slightly and most inconveniently since I have given up on humans. Hopefully, since this one was so small, she wouldn't really count. She would surely forget about this adventure and grow to an age when reason would blur this memory of me forever from her mind but as part of me feared, she was back the next day. She brought more cakes this time. The thing about offerings is, if given freely with no expectation or less of result, they mean relationship. They mean the heart of exchange. She didn't ask anything of me. She came here because she loved my wild wooden path and felt safe under the thick arches of the forest canopy. She would fall asleep on the moss, nestled between the thick roots of one of the blessing trees that still remained by my own protection. I was mesmerized by this insignificant, frail little creature 
becoming more and more accustomed to her human form, I could enter her dreams, her thoughts. Since she loved the wild forest berries, I would show her where the best patches grew or where to spot a family of deer grazing peacefully so she could watch. But she didn't come here for the berries or the deer watching alone. She came here because she was lonely and felt so strange outside of my forest. I didn't understand the distant world she showed me in her dreams, but I could sense that she didn't really feel comfortable there, nor did she belong in it. I began to show her more things of my world and the hidden secrets of its power. She often cried in response to what I showed her, which were impressions, memories of how my world was long ago when everything was connected. She cried because she longed for this connection and oneness. She cried because she knew she would be forever changed by the weight of this wisdom and there was no going back. Also, she wept for the trees that were cut and the streams that have dried up after contamination. I could not feel this sorrow myself. I was outside of emotion, but somehow a part of me softened at the sadness she held on my behalf. And when I softened, I realized that she and I longed for each other and the dreaming forest I recluded to called her, summoned her. I summoned her with the same song that kept me in my slumber. Many years went by and the girl grew up, but never forgot me or my forest. Her visits became fewer as she got older, but I knew it was not of her doing, but the world she came from and its necessary demands. She always came back after some time. And one of those times she arrived with a smaller human child, even smaller than she was when we first met. As soon as the small one could talk, she called me by one of my old names. If I could feel joy, I possibly would. But instead, I started sharing with the small one, just like I shared with her mother, all the forest memories and wisdom I knew. I shared because they knew how to listen. Both of yours were lovely. As was yours, but they were all lovely. Thank you. I loved, again, the interweaving between all of them, too. The most fascinating thing to me, I have to say, was this week I had a burning need to make honey cake for the first time in my life and make do it as an offering. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of terrible. My first attempt at honey cake. <laughs> All you have to do is say that it's the most beautiful, wonderful cake you've ever made and offer it. On that note, I was walking in the wood today and a shaft of sunlight caught a little brown bunny who was eating green things on the edge of the forest. So I remember thinking, oh, what a perfect picture, what a perfect image. And here's the story about that bunny. Yeah, that bunny was, was, uh, was like the butterfly and the seed mm. and the rainbow circle. Once again, I'm, I'm beginning to be less and less surprised at how we see and hear these stories that are, and how connected they are. And I believe, so you even said something about relationship in the earlier prayer about exchange and relationship and all of that mm -hmm. was here today. And that sense of the path of evolution also, 
and my sense of the green man in your story, Gabrielle, and in mine of being in a transition time or having just been through a transition time and what that being, how that being would face a transition, but also what shifts in them when people come and remember the old ways as well. So that was, that was really beautiful and the way that you described it in your story. I feel the same way about your story, Betsy, and the connection and the remembrance. And regardless of of time and what religion takes over, there is a certain rhythm and a certain song and some people that can never be stifled because it's that seed and it's the seed and it's the earning of the seat at the eternal table that I feel like you see we're, we're talking about as well, which honors both the old and the new. And that some kind of action is what also, not just a consciousness, but action involved with consciousness allows us that seat at the eternal table as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, lo- I loved all of them having so much devotion in them. Just the idea of devotion and relationship was lovely. And I'm struck by the trust of the little girls in the more extended story of accepting what what's happening and um but also in knowing in a way their place in the story as well and how to converse with a god. I wish that I had been taught as a child how to converse with a god. Don't you think you were though? I feel like I think we all were. We must have we must have heard the song. Yeah. Or we wouldn't True. really care to write these stories. And I don't know, for me, writing these stories just moves me into such a place of resonance and and love of all that's remained. So, yeah, I feel like we all had we got the memo. <laughs> I felt like both of yours were so beautiful the way they worked perfectly together. It's almost like it was the same scene from different times. Or a different land, but the forest spirit was there. There's a forest spirit in every wood. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, one of the things that I found fascinating in listening to both of yours and in spending the week and finding what aspect of the story that the green god wanted me to share that sense of who has gone before and how they contribute to what unfolds now. And that was a powerful observation for me to be aware of. So if it's true that I was like that little girl, then somebody helped me with that. Somebody in earlier generations set me up for that, as I would hope for each listener that they would have somebody in their lineage who helped to set them up for this as well, to be able to just converse equably with the God and to share their lunch. That's really beautiful. That is beautiful. It also strikes me when you say that about her being left alone in the field and how people who have been left alone in the field are more likely to actually converse with the God. Or how loneliness can bring on that inspiration to talk to the great outside, the, the, the great wood, the path you're on. How not belonging to one place will open up the door and a pathway to that other place that 
these people are probably more acquainted with anyway. And if they were comfortable in a different world, this one wouldn't be as enticing or soothing to them. So I feel like it's that element as well. Once there is that lack of connection from nature and from balance and from offering and sacredness. That's well put. And I am also thinking about how in in your story, the God or the spirit of the wood warmed up to the girl as even though he didn't really necessarily want to. And I think there's so much truth in that that it occurs to me of what it would be like to find the gods of the elements that we're the most related to or the part of the world that we're the most connected to and to revive communication with them and to bring them perhaps reluctantly but nevertheless to bring them to the table in this time when so many of us are hoping to help support nature and the environment too. These little girls, I think, have a lot of wisdom for us. I think that's beautiful and fabulous. Thank you. I kind of want to run out and do that now. (laughs) You have the honey cake. Exactly. A good honey cake can go a long ways. (laughs) And see, what was it like for you to think about the seat of the eternal table. I just love that. Those words are so empowering, so beautiful. I don't, I don't know. That's just what kept coming to me. So I think I just want to use the first bit. I didn't know. I thought one, but not the other, but didn't know which one. So it was strange to me that, yeah, the same imagery just coming back. I like them both together, honestly. I feel the same. I think because we're getting to see these different glimpses and to have four instead of three glimpses. <laughs> it's one voice, different, you know, three voices, different glimpses, sometimes more than one. Well, in this hot end of July, early August, I feel like spending a week with the green man cooled me down a lot. Anyway. <laughs> and your green man was very sexy, I have to say. Yes. <laughs> I'd love to be left alone with him in the field anytime. <laughs> well, I mean, on that note, it was interesting to see that she was his daughter, but she could very well have become his lover too. Exactly. Road. And the absolutely sense of normality that that held for her and for her mother and her grandmother and et cetera. It definitely felt natural for that to be on the menu at some point down the road and not weird, at least not from my perspective. And also, you know, I imagine even on an energetic level that keeping the bloodlines topped up like that kept a connect, you know, a connection with people who allowed the green man to have, or the green God to have a connection with people at that higher level of communication because they were literally part of him. Yeah, I can really see that. That would be advantageous. Mm -hmm. It becomes less about family in how we understand family and more about lineage, connection, and magic, which is in a different spectrum altogether. Mm. Well, and interestingly enough, 
in this story, in your story, Betsy, the green man didn't really have any part in raising the children. So he becomes that divine intervention, that divine seed that maintains the magic, maintains the connection to the wild and to nature and maintains that balance where a human man comes in to be the father. So even that is a wonderful way of of looking at that. Yeah, and to have that extended sense of family and to know that the true patriarch of the family is God, but not a storm God, a green God. Beautiful. Well, and likely it'll only be weird in context to sort of the regular world and the consensual reality of the regular world. But out of that context, it's just normal to make a honey cake and and to enjoy it with your divine father and to bless the harvest while you're at it, which was the sense is it could be a big celebration, it could be a private celebration, but every Every offering and every time when it's received means that the blessing of that green God goes out into the world. And Gabrielle, is this a version of the God, a well-known version of a forest God in Poland? It is. He is certainly a being that, in, in this current time, I don't know how many people would call him a God. They would probably call him the, the guardian of the forest. But he is someone that shows up and is known to people who pick berries and mushrooms and go hunting. And there's a lot of folklore and superstition around things that are appropriate in the forest and things that are not appropriate in the forest. Making loud noises, being aware of what's around you. And because he is a spirit that can take so many different forms, there are very different versions of what he looks like. Uh, that's why even in the story, you know, he could be anything. He can be anything at any time and he can shift his consciousness from one place to another, all within that forest. And every forest has one. So he's of a particular geographical location. But the name Leshi means, literally means of the forest. It means a forest guardian. And he is a well-recognized being guardian, both loved and feared in equal balance. How is his name spelled? L E S Z Y. So that would be the that would be the Polish spelling. There are other spellings of other Slavic languages that are slightly different, but it's pretty much that they sound very similar. Leshe or Leshai, Leshi. Thank you. Absolutely. So what does this story, these stories inspire into the week for us? More honey cake offerings. I'm gonna go offer more honey cake. Well, I'm inspired to dream about or put it out there that I would like to know more of the regional gods or goddesses that have been connected with by my ancestor line and who might I be able then to connect with and to begin to make offerings whether honey cakes or mead or something else entirely. Those are both beautiful. For me I'd like to dream of hope. I'd like to turn my longing for the old ways into hope that they have remained and that they will carry us through whatever we need to go through and remember that without that relationship and without the connection to the sacred and to things bigger than we are, nothing really matters. So 
I'm going to stay hopeful in my longing for the green world. That's beautiful. I think I'll adopt that too. Thank you. And honey cake. (laughs) Definitely honey cake. And special thanks to the fantastic Zoe Magic for her phenomenal editing skills.